0: Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the chapter we read, chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, reading for our text, just part of verse 9. Our Lord's question to Adam, where art thou? The whole verse reads, and the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? You might say this is one of the most important chapters in the whole of the Word of God. If you took this chapter out of the Word of God, then you would take out the account of the fall of man how sin entered into the world and death by sin, that record would no longer be found as the source and root of all the evil and all the sin and all the death and all of the suffering that is in the world. Also, there would be taken out the first promise Of the Saviour. In verse 15, we have the words that our Lord spoke to Satan, who had come in the form of a serpent, and said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There is the promised seed of the woman which should be our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. The Church of God right through the Old Testament expected that it should be one of the offspring of Adam and Eve that would be the Saviour, that would be the Redeemer, that would be the one that would bruise Satan's head and that he, Satan, would bruise his heel. And so it is a a very vital, very important chapter. It records the severance of that fellowship and communion that Adam and Eve had with the Lord before the fall. You would remember when God created the earth and created man, he pronounced all things as good, But from this chapter, all is not good. Death enters into the world. This chapter sets forth the change between God's perfect, good creation and when death entered and when all was marred, all was under the curse and Adam and Eve and all his descendants and we included are under the curse and have need of a Saviour. I want to note with the Lord's help this evening. Firstly, the use of questions. Our text is a question. And then, secondly, the first and second questions asked in the Bible are also found in this chapter. The second one is the one of our text. And then thirdly, the answer, where Adam was. The question is, where are thou? So I want to think first of the use of questions. Those of us that have children, grandchildren, we know that they learn through asking questions. How many times that... They are saying, why, why, why? They are asking questions of their parents, of things that they don't understand. And that is a very, very good tool in the learning process of a child and those also that are older as well. When questions are asked us, it makes us to search us, search ourselves and to force us to consider how we would answer that question. If we are asked point blank, are you a Christian? We would be forced to really consider whether we really are a Christian. If we are asked point blank, do you have... Assurance that when you die that you will go to heaven. You'd be forced to think and really consider do I have a real warrant? Do I have a real scriptural title to heaven? An assurance that it is well with me. And so questions can cause us great uh, searchings of heart as to how we would answer. It's easy to drift along and to just assume things, but when someone asks us a question, it brings us up, blank and we have got to think, how will we answer this question? The power of questions is also reflected in our Lord's teaching, and we're seeing that many times. The questions may begun by those who were seeking to trip up and to undermine our Lord, to question his authority. But the Lord turned it about and turned the questions back unto them. There's many examples of this. One example would be in Mark chapter 11, and we see in, in that chapter, verse 28 onwards, The chief priests and elders, scribes, they came to the Lord, and they asked him, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority to do these things? And the Lord answered them with another question. Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority. I do these things. Now, the Lord's question to them, the baptism of John, that is, John the Baptist, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. Now we're told what went on after the Lord asked that question. They reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if ye shall say, of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Of course, John clearly pointed out the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I, tell you by what authority I do these things. And they were forced then to concede that they could not answer this question. And they were looking at the implications of if they answered one way or if they answered the other way. And so uh, this pattern very often was repeated through our Lord's ministry The questions are also reflected in the history of the Church. The Church has always realised the benefit of using catechisms to present questions and then answers to very clearly fasten in the minds of their congregations, their children and their people the truths of God. Luther's small catechism of 1529, then we have the Heidelberg 1563, and also then the Westminster ones of 1648. And even William Gadsby had his own catechism that he used amongst our churches. So it is a recognised way of teaching and features prominently in the Word of God and in the teaching of the Church of God. And here it is here in our text. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now secondly, we have the first And second, questions that are asked in the Word of God. I always feel it is very profitable in any doctrine, in any teaching, to go back to where it is first mentioned in the Word of God. And of course in the first three chapters of the Word of God here in Genesis We have the first mention of many, many of the truths that are then reflected right the way through the Word of God. We have the creation, we have the one day in seven, the Sabbath day, we have the formation of man, the giving of the law, the breaking of the law of God, the giving of the promise of the Saviour, we have marriage, we have uh, the... Uh, establishing of all of these truths that are set before us in the word of God. And so here we have two questions and a lot can be told us from just thinking of these two questions. First we have the question asked in verse 1 which is asked by Satan. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He is questioning what God hath said. Satan coming to the woman, undermining the word of God. Then we have in our text the second question, where the Lord God is asking the question, calling unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? Now there's two important things that we need to draw from this and remember, really, in all of our lives. Satan, he will always question the Word of God. Whatever way it is, whatever law, whatever command, whatever duty, whatever promise, whatever exhortation, he will suggest questioning, undermining it, taking away its authority and its power and he comes in very subtly <clears throat> and he does not say very first that god is a liar but he comes in a subtle way and poses a question in the mind hath god said he shall not eat of every tree of the garden has he really said that is that really A command, is that really part of the word of God? Is that God's word? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. For Satan, he knew exactly what God had said, and so he says, Not lest ye die, but then he comes out in the open, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Not only did he question what God had said, but that he also now is saying that there is an ulterior motive why God has held this back from the man and the woman. He does not want them to have their eyes open. He does not want them to be as gods, knowing good and evil. Remember, Adam and Eve at this time were sinless, they were unfallen, they were spiritually alive, they were in fellowship with God. There was nothing in them that would tempt them to sin. They had been created perfect and pure, but with the capability of sinning. They had a free will, and that free will now is being used to follow along with Satan and to question the Word of God, allow the Word of God to be questioned, and God's integrity undermined And that then led to the fall, led to actions that are wrong. And if we could only remember this, these steps, Satan will put in the mind a questioning of what God has said. And then he'll insinuate that there is a reason why we should not accept the word as it is set before us. And then it will lead to disobedience to that word. How many, at first reading of the word of God, would say, "This is what the word means. It tells me I shouldn't do this or should do that." And then in comes Satan. Any questions? Is that really, is that really what it means? Is that really what God has said? And then there will be a suggestion, well, that can't be what God means. He can't really intend that for man. And that will then lead to a direct actions opposite to the word. We need to remember that. Satan, his questions, will question the word of God, and lead to disobedience. When our Lord asks questions, he asks questions of us, where we are in relation to the word of God. Where we stand in relation to the word of God great blessing for us if we are walking in accordance with the word of God, at one with it, in obedience to it, following it. The Lord said, My sheep, they hear my voice, and they follow me. And what is very to be noted here, we don't read in verse 8 that Adam he is the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He doesn't. He hears the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. God is a spirit. God fills all things. God hath not bodily parts as we have. He cannot be seen. His presence is known by his voice. It was known with Elijah in the cave when that still small voice came to him. He covered his face in his mantle. It was made known to Samuel by his voice, calling unto Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. May we remember that. The word was used to create the world. God spake the world in chapter 1 into existence. God's presence is known in this world by his voice. And it is in the proclamation of the gospel through the word of God, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. That is why the Lord said that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The presence of the Lord is known by his word. And it is a solemn thing when the Lord is silent and when there is no real evidence of his presence. But let us remember these two first questions in the Word of God and what it sets before us. Wherever the suggestion comes in, the Word of God is questioned, that's Satan's work. Wherever it is that we are searched and questioned as to our standing according to the Word of God, that is the Lord's work, to search his people out, to bring them to the word of God as a lamp, as a light, as a standard, lift it up. Thy word is a lamp and to my feet, a light unto my path. And it is the Lord that brings that word. And that word in this case is the question: where Art thou? On to look then, thirdly, at the answer to the question. How would we answer this question? How does Adam answer it? He says, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Just hearing the voice of the Lord Made him feel his nakedness and to hide himself. Now remember that, maybe come back to that in a moment. Then the Lord asked another question Who told thee that thou wast naked? Then he asks another question Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The Lord is using these questions, like we said at the beginning, to force Adam to actually think about what he has done and the effect of what he has done. So where is Adam? Where the question comes to him, he is hiding, hiding from God. Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. One thing it teaches us, we can never hide from God. But when God comes, then we will really know our true state and condition and will hide we read at the end of the world that when the Lord comes with power and great glory in the clouds of heaven, and every eye shall see him, then the multitudes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall call upon the rocks and the hills to hide them from him that sitteth upon the throne. And God says of his people, when they see these things come to pass, Look out for your redemption draweth nigh. Their eternal inheritance in heaven is coming. But all of those that have disbelieved his word, rejected his word, those who uh, have sinned and there's been no saviour, no redemption, those who perhaps have lived their whole life in complete defiance that there is no God and there is no accountability, they will one day have to face God. They will be just like Adam and hide themselves, but then it will be too late. With Adam, it was not too late. And in the day of grace, it is not too late. But when the Lord's voice is heard here, it has this effect first, Adam he hides himself, he knows he cannot meet God, he cannot face God, he cannot stand before God. This is one of the first effects of sin. It takes away our standing before God. It takes away our strength. It takes away the fellowship and communion that once Adam had. And there is a seeking to hide From the presence of God. Jonah, he thought to run away from God. He couldn't. The psalmist in Psalm 139 he testifies how God is everywhere, and even if he descended into hell, thou art there. From the utmost uh, part of the world, wherever he went. God was there. Yet here is this effect with Adam. He's hiding from God. Maybe it is with us in some aspect or those that may be joining us online. You are hiding from God. You are seeking to hide from Him. You say, how can I hide from God? You're hiding from His Word. You don't want to hear His Word. His word makes you want to run away from it and hide from it, to be swallowed up in the things of this world or make out you haven't heard it but you don't want to face with the word of God. You know the Lord said that he that is of God cometh to the word that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought of God those that are not of God. Because their deeds are evil, they do not come to the light. And the word of God is spoken of as as the light, lest their deeds be made manifest or be found out. And this is borne out by Adam right at the very start. If there is with us any hint of this, that we are hiding ourselves from the Word or perhaps from certain chapters or portions of the Word that we cannot bear to read because our searching it is for us. Then may this question the Lord asked Adam search us out as well. And we realise that if we cannot stand before God's Word here, how shall we stand? before God at the last day. The second place where Adam was, was under the law as a transgressor. The law was given by the Lord concerning this one point, that was that they should not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. And that law was broken. Adam now was a transgressor. He had broken the law of God. He'd broken the covenant of God. He was therefore a transgressor of the law. Paul, in writing to Romans, is very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one, that the fall has come upon all men. We all are transgressors from the womb and we all actually are transgressors. Adam was under the law. We are under the law as descendants of Adam. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So the other place that Adam was was under the curse. And that is that we are under as well, except we're brought out from it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only was Adam under the curse, but also all of the earth was. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. To emphasize, of course, in the next verse, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And that there goes through uh, all the generations of Adam, all that have sinned to come short of the glory of God. All are under the curse. And there's a curse even if we uh, commit one sin, we're brought under that curse. And that curse was that in the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die, or in dying, thou shalt die. So again, where Adam was, immediately, when the Lord asked him, Where art thou? He was dead spiritually. Again, the same as we all are by nature. Still, we are in the image of God in one sense. We are rational creatures. We are not like the animals that can't reason things. Though some birds and animals have a limited reasoning, yet we can uh, learn, we can be taught, and what we have taught we can then apply to other things and reason that through and think it through. We are put in the pinnacle of God's creation to have dominion over all of his creation, and that still applies and... Uh, In many respects we still bear the image of God and yet spiritually we are dead. We cannot understand the things of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We need to remember that. That was immediate. With Adam, we need a new birth. We need to be born again. We need to be spiritually born. The natural man looks upon the things of God, the word of God, as foolishness. He cannot understand it. He cannot enter into it. That is how he is dead spiritually. But then naturally, in dying thou shalt die, If we only turn just a few chapters along, chapter 5, we read, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. Not the confusion of male and female that has been brought into the world today. That is Satan's work. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam as a surname in the day when they were created. But then we have the list of all the generations right through to Noah, 1640 years, generations. And they lived many years, 800 years, 900 years. But right the way through this chapter we read, and he died, and he died, constantly, however long they lived. And that is the pattern right through this world's history. There's no man that liveth that shall not see death. Only at the very last time when God comes again, then those that are alive at that time, instead of dying in the natural way, those of God's people shall be caught up to be with him in the air and those that are not to be Uh, brought before the Judgment Day and then banished to hell ever after. It is evident in this world that there is sickness and sickness leads to death. And death is all about us, a solemn reminder of the sentence that was brought on Adam and follows right through his race. There's no other way of which there is a reason for death in this world. God gives it. God tells us the reason for it. God also tells us how this world is so wonderful and the creation still, though marred by sin, is still a wonderful creation by design, design of a maker who is infinitely wiser than what we are. So Adam was dead spiritually and he was dying naturally. And yet, where was he? He was still in the land of the living. Adam was not cut off straight away. And that lengthening of days that time was the blessing. That was the case when Jonah was sent to Nineveh And he said that 40 days that Nineveh shall be destroyed. In a way, there was no gospel there. There was no good news. But the good news was, it was not immediately destroyed. There was given 40 days a day, a time of testing. And the day in which Adam lived, and the day in which we live, are days of grace. They're days that God has given to man upon earth to hear the word of the Lord, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, to know the saving grace of God. And so Adam, he was in the land of the living and you and I are still in the land of the living. We are still not banished eternally. We still hear the word of God. We still are in the day of God's grace and mercy. And so then, we have in the seventh place, Adam, under the searching word of God. God comes with his question, where art thou? God could have been silent to him, but he wasn't. And this is a great blessing that you and I should be under the word of God. Just a few verses on, from where the Lord had said this and questioned Adam, where art thou? Then the Lord speaks the words of the promise that we spoke about before in verse 15. The promise of the Saviour, not even spoken to Adam, but spoken to Satan. And Adam listened on. What a ray of hope this is for everyone that hears the word of God that convicts them as a sinner and that causes them to hide from God, that hears the word of God and they are brought in as guilty, under the curse, under the sentence of death, And yet in the land of the living, and by and by, they hear the promise of the Saviour. We read in Hebrews 11, where there are the list of those that go right from Abel, right uh, through all of the prophets, the Old Testament saints, those that lived and died by faith. And all of them, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. They saw the promises afar off and embraced them. And this is the promise, the promise of the Saviour, the promise that there should be one to redeem them, set them free by the payment of a price. The Gospel is that in Adam's place, in The place of all the people of God, God would send His only begotten Son, and that He should make Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we should be made the righteousness of God in Him. He would send a substitute instead of Adam, instead of you and I. Christ would die. Instead of the wrath of God on us, it would fall on him. Instead of the debt being paid by us, he would pay it. Instead of spiritual death, he would give spiritual life. He says, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of mine hand. And the Lord Jesus Christ then gives them that spiritual life in him here below and he gives them to have that eternal life with him in heaven so that though they still must die, the spirit separates from the body, returns to God that gave it and returns to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the last day the body shall be raised the spirit joined with that body and be forever with the Lord. When our Lord was crucified, there was two thieves that were crucified with him, one on one side and one on the other. And at first they both said to him, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us, come down from the cross. But one, he was brought changed, brought to sea, Who the Lord was, he rebuked his fellow. He said, Dost thou not fear God, being in the same condemnation? And he said to the Lord, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. How could he see that suffering, spectacle of blood and sorrowing and agony beside him as the king, the king of glory, But he did. And the Lord said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. After that, our Lord yielded up his spirit to his father. He died, laid down his life. And after that, then the legs of the thieves were broken by the Roman soldiers. They died. The bodies were still on the cross, but the soul immediately with the Lord. This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. All men have a body and a soul. They're not like the beasts that just perish and are no more. When death comes, the soul returns to God. It will ever live, either in heaven or in hell either with Satan or with the Lord. Where art thou? We could add, where wilt thou be? Adam was on earth, you and I are on earth. And under the day of grace, that what a blessed soul that can say, When asked, Where art thou? And say, I am in God's covenant. I have been put amongst his children by God's mercy and grace. I have been brought unto his word. I have been brought into his living church. I am part of his bride. I am part of his inheritance. I shall be forever with the Lord. I am in the Lord. I am in a good place, a safe place. I am where I would not be by nature, but by God's grace I am. We might be able to say with the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God I am what I am. What a question this is. And may we go from the Lord's house with this question ringing in our ears, where art thou? And may the Lord give us to search our hearts and that we might know where we really are as our standing before God, whether it is still in ignorance of him and fear of him or whether it is with him and with that blessed prospect of heaven and glory with the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.